We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go, episode 534 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Thursday, March 23rd, 2023. His name is Steve Apostolopoulos. Say that 10 times fast, Steve Apostolopoulos. His name is not Boomi Rotimi or Rotimi Boomi. Rotimi Boomi. Yeah, <laughs> that name has given our commander's head coach, Ron Rivera, some trouble. Uh, Boomi Rotimi, he was a defensive lineman on your team, Ron. Boomi Rotimi is the brother's name. But no, Steve Apostolopoulos is this man's name. He is Canadian. He is a billionaire. And he is the newest contender that we know of in the sweepstakes that is the sale of the commanders. Hello and welcome to this Thursday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. How big of a deal this reveal of Steve Apostolopoulos as a bidder for the commanders is, is debatable. You know, it's possible that his involvement in the bidding was leaked in order to drive up the price for the group that remains the perceived front runner to buy the team. The group led by Philadelphia 76ers managing partner and New Jersey Devils managing partner Josh Harris. But Steve Apostolopoulos is a new name in this saga that is the sale of the Commanders. Next segment, I'll discuss who he is and where he would seem to fit in in the sale of the Commanders. And then after that, a special guest, Jake Burns of the Orange and Brown Report. He is the host of the OBR Film Breakdown Podcast, which is a Cleveland Browns film breakdown pod. Jake is going to give us a deep dive on new Commanders quarterback Jacoby Brissett, who of course played for the Browns last season and did very well for the Browns last season. Jake is excellent at talking both X's and O's and analytics, and he has a great handle on Jacoby Brissett, the person. And so you're going to hear a lot of good and insightful stuff about Brissett, including what went into his impressive 2022 season, and him being a master of the quarterback sneak. Yes, Jacoby Brissett is an elite quarterback sneak guy. Also on the show, my thoughts on the introductory press conference 
for new Georgetown basketball head coach Ed Cooley. Uh, We had that on Wednesday afternoon. You will hear the best of what Cooley had to say. And what he had to say featured him promising the Hoyas winning a national title with him as head coach. Uh, Ed Cooley on Wednesday afternoon was not shy. He was not bashful, uh, but he, to me, was impressive. Uh, And I will talk Wizards, uh, another loss for the Wiz. Uh, That's a good thing because uh, them uh, pumping up their odds for the NBA draft lottery matters a lot more than them making this Eastern Conference play-in tournament. But they on Wednesday night got ripped by the Western Conference leading Denver Nuggets 118-104 at Capital One Arena as the Wiz uh, were without both Bradley Beal and Kyle Kuzma. A few things before we get to some feedback. Uh, Commanders turned Atlanta Falcons quarterback Taylor Heineke, a tremendous piece for the Players' Tribune. Uh, This was a thank you to Washington fans. Uh, This came out on Wednesday morning. I know (laughs) that a lot of you are sick of the Taylor talk, the Tay-Tay talk, and trust me, I'm not planning on talking about Taylor Heineke much anymore, but this piece for the Players' Tribune was well done. Quote, look, I'm not going to lie, it's heartbreaking to be leaving. I'm getting emotional just sitting here thinking about it. This team and the people of Washington, I just cannot thank you guys enough for the support and encouragement you showed me, end quote. Later in the piece, quote, and I do want to give a special thanks to Coach Rivera. Obviously, the end of the road for me in Washington was a little bit rocky with how it all went down, but I want everyone to know that there's no hard feelings. I'm very grateful for the opportunities Coach Rivera gave me over the years, for him trusting me and believing in me again and again, and the fact that he and the coaching staff and my teammates and the fans and everyone else in Washington accepted me with open arms. That means the world to me, because that stuff wasn't a given by any stretch of the imagination. Nothing is ever a given when you're talking about someone like me. I know who I am. I don't have the strongest arm. I throw a decent amount of picks. I do some dumb stuff sometimes out there. I cop to all of that. It's true. But I also fight like hell. And I know how to get W's. So at the end of the day, I hope that I still gave you all something to cheer for. End quote. Very classy of Taylor Haneke to write that. Uh, Also, with Ed Cooley having left his job as Providence head coach to become Georgetown head coach, how about who reportedly is replacing him as Providence head coach? George Mason head coach Kim English. He reportedly is leaving Mason for Providence. Uh, Kim English was Mason's head coach for just two seasons, Uh, but he this season did lead Mason to his first 20 win season since the 2016 2017 season, and a very good and much-needed exhibition game start for the Nationals' Mackenzie Gore on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, Gore in a 5-2 Grapefruit League win over the New York Yankees in Florida. Six scoreless innings, eight strikeouts versus one walk. He gave up just two hits, a double and a single. Did issue a wild pitch, but Mackenzie Gore needed this. Gore had not been having a good exhibition season. He came into the game with the following stats this exhibition season. Five starts, an ERA of 7-0-7, a whip of 193. Gore was one of the prized players who the Nats got back 
from the San Diego Padres in the mega trade of outfielder Juan Soto and first baseman Josh Bell to the Padres last August 2nd. And especially with the Nats' top pitching prospect, Cade Cavalli, done for the season due to Tommy John surgery, Gore's 2023 season is of extreme importance for our rebuilding Nats. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Feedback to something that I talked about on Wednesday's show, episode 533, a potential commander's pursuit of Baltimore Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson, specifically the national media's fixation (laughs) with the commanders going after Lamar, even though every indication is that the commanders are not going after Lamar, uh, but also the possibility of the sale of the commanders prompting the commanders to go after Lamar. A tweet from E8P, the national media doesn't seem to understand the learners would have traded Soto to Angelos (laughs) before the Ravens would allow Lamar to Washington. Tweet from Rick Proctor, we are not getting Lamar, don't want Lamar, not paying Lamar, massive guaranteed contract, not doing it, can't win with it, Hashtag overrated. Uh, Yeah, you know, I don't think that that's an unreasonable take, especially given Lamar's recent injury history. In each of the last two regular seasons, he's missed five games. He is most effective as a quarterback when he is a run threat, and that style is conducive to injury. Uh, Also, he has not had a great season since the 2020 season. And if he's so good and is so worth keeping and is so worthy of the mega money contract that he wants, why have the Ravens allowed his situation to get this far to where he has been slapped with the non-exclusive franchise tag, which allows for him to be traded? You know, the national NFL reporters who so desperately want Lamar to like them, very interestingly, never bring up this Ravens point, which to me is the most significant point of all in this Lamar Jackson situation. And I like Lamar a lot as a quarterback. I have a lot of respect for Lamar, but like the truth is the truth. A team going after him and giving him the mega money contract that he wants and trading two first round picks to the Ravens, that's not the slam dunk yes that these national reporters make it out to be. Email from Ed, on the extent to which Amazon founder Jeff Bezos wants to be involved in the bidding on the commanders. Wright said, Hi Al, I am starting to think that Bezos isn't interested. It's like he's looking at a ragged Corvette with an engine that doesn't run and with every nut and bolt needing replacing. Sketchy mechanics (laughs) had their hands on the car and the car is kept in a broken down garage that leaks and the pipsqueak owner of the car wants a premium or what was once a great performing car. There's no telling what else is looming in that ragged hulk once Bezos gets the keys. Meanwhile, another guy told Bezos that the guy has the exact same vet in pristine condition. The vet has had its oil changed regularly by factory-trained techs, and the vet is stored in a mint garage. No premium. Just get in and enjoy the car right away. It's a no-brainer, really. 
Thank you for the email, Ed. Very well done. I like that. Uh, You know, there are many possibilities with Jeff Bezos in terms of his involvement in the sale of the commanders. Uh, It could be that he always has wanted to buy the team, but has not been allowed to participate in the bidding, thanks to the feelings of our current co-owner and co-CEO, Dan Snyder. Uh, It could be that Bezos always has wanted to buy the team, has not been allowed to participate in the bidding, but now is allowed to participate in the bidding. Uh, It could be that Bezos always has wanted to buy the team, has not been allowed to participate in the bidding, now is allowed to participate in the bidding, but is only being used to drive up the sale price. Uh, And it also could be that he never truly wanted to buy the team, or as Ed suggested, Bezos perhaps wanted to buy the team, but has lost interest in buying the team, perhaps because, yeah, Bezos is just going to wait out for the sale of the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, I have said that the commanders are a sleeping giant given the team's market, the ultra-populated, ultra-rich Washington, D.C. area market, and I very much believe that. But I also believe this, and I'm basing this off what has been reported and also on conversations that I've had with people. The truth about the financials with the team have jarred, if not spooked, potential buyers of the team. A stat that sticks with me is something that was in that bombshell report by ESPN senior writer Don Van Nata Jr. on Dan Snyder that came out on February 28th, uh, that local revenues for the team from fiscal year 2009 through fiscal year 2020 dropped by one third from $241 million in fiscal year 2009 to $160 million in fiscal year 2020. Even when you factor in the COVID pandemic in 2020, that is quite a drop. Here's another stat, and uh, this was told to me by my friend, my pal, Kevin Sheehan of the Kevin Sheehan Show podcast. The team went from a net revenue, i.e. a profit, of $205 million in 2018 to $150 million in 2022 a decline of $55 million, a decline of 26.8% over just five years. These are staggering stats. And when you think about the people who we know have been involved in the bidding on the commanders, at least based on reporting, if you look into these guys' backgrounds, okay, (laughs) these guys are not dummies, okay? They see these numbers. These guys understand these numbers. And of course, the same thing would be true of Jeff Bezos, if he has seen these numbers. Well, speaking of numbers, uh, the numbers will tell you that you can grow your business or practice by advertising on the Al Galdi podcast. Uh, Podcast advertising is very affordable, especially in our current economy, and podcast advertising works. Email us, see what we can do for you. The email address is Podcast at yahoo.com. All right, so we have a new friend, Steve Apostolopoulos. Uh, we on we- <laughs> you can't make this stuff up, man. We on Wednesday afternoon had multiple reports that Canadian billionaire Steve Apostolopoulos is a candidate to buy the Commanders, uh, and that he toured the team facility in Ashburn, Virginia, in recent weeks. So, who the heck is Steve Apostolopoulos? Well, he is the founder of Six Ventures Inc which is a private equity venture fund. He was born in Toronto. Uh, He attended Harvard. He reportedly has had discussions to buy 
the NBA Charlotte Hornets from Michael Jordan, uh, who used to play for the Wizards and I believe played for some other NBA team too. I'm not sure. Anyway, uh, the known reported contenders to buy the commanders in terms of people actually involved in the process are uh, Josh Harris, who is the Philadelphia 76ers and New Jersey Devils managing partner, uh, Tillman Fertitta, who is the owner of of the Houston Rockets, and now Steve Apostolopoulos. And lurking, and perhaps an actual contender to buy the commanders, we just can't be sure, is Amazon founder Jeff Bezos. But, you know, we during this process of the sale of the commanders have heard about a potential or actual mystery bidder. Uh, well, Steve Apostolopoulos would appear to be that mystery bidder. Uh, it's important to note that the belief is that he toured the team facility within the last few weeks. So this news of him being involved in the bidding for the commanders may actually not mean all that much if, in fact, Josh Harris has reached an agreement to buy the commanders or is nearing an agreement to buy the commanders. Like, it may be that Apostolopoulos toured the team facility a few weeks ago, but within the last week or so, the most important development in the sale of the commanders has been the emergence of Josh Harris, who reportedly has added another billionaire, Mitchell Rails, and NBA legend Magic Johnson to the group. Uh, you know, so much of this saga that is the sale of the Commanders is connecting dots and putting pieces of the puzzle together and understanding the timeline. And there's so much that we don't know, or at least aren't entirely sure of. I mean, the extent to which Jeff Bezos is a factor is a perfect example. It was on November 2nd that the Commanders put out the statement confirming a report from Forbes earlier that morning that our co-owners and co-CEOs, Dan and Tanya Snyder, were exploring a sale of the Commanders. It was the very next day, November 3rd, that we had multiple reports that Jeff Bezos was interested in buying the Commanders and perhaps partnering with hip-hop superstar Jay-Z for a purchase of the Commanders. Remember that? All of the Jay-Z talk? What happened to all of that? Well, here we are four and a half months later, and the extent to which Bezos is involved in the bidding on the commanders still is unclear. Uh, now, it may be that that is exactly what Dan Snyder wants. It may be that that is exactly what Jeff Bezos wants. But again, four and a half months later, we still do not have a clear picture regarding the extent to which Jeff Bezos is involved in the bidding on the commanders. So again, there's a lot that we don't know. This entire saga is a humbling saga for those on the outside looking in. Like, you have to recognize that you don't know everything in this saga. I still do believe that the favorite to buy the commanders is the Josh Harris group. Steve Apostolopoulos feels, at least right now, like a second-tier candidate, you know, like a Tillman Fertitta-type candidate. Uh, although, <laughs> Apostolopoulos buying the commanders would be kind of fitting. He is Canadian, the greatest owner in team history, Jack Ken Cook, was Canadian, right? Jack was born in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Well, also regarding the commanders on Wednesday was the news that unrestricted free agent linebacker Anthony Walker has decided to resign with the Cleveland Browns. Multiple reports on that came out on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, the commanders on Tuesday reportedly hosted a visit from Walker. Uh, no deal was reached, and now no deal will be reached, at least this offseason. Uh, Walker spent the last two seasons with the Browns. He is coming off a serious injury, a torn left quadriceps tendon that he suffered in week three of this past season. However, a player who was on the Browns last season who has reached a deal with the commanders this offseason is, of course, quarterback Jacoby Brissett. And up next, high-level insight on Brissett 
from Jake Burns of the Orange and Brown Report. He is the host of the OBR Film Breakdown Podcast, which is a Browns Film Breakdown Pod. Prepare yourself to learn a whole lot about the commander's newest quarterback, Jacoby Brissett. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, this episode of the Al Galdi podcast is for Thursday, March 23rd. It was last Thursday, March 16th, that the commanders officially announced the signing of unrestricted free agent quarterback Jacoby Brissett. Uh, The contract is a reported one-year, $8 million deal with $7.5 million fully guaranteed. Uh, Brissett is going into his age 31 season uh, with the caveat that everything with the commander's could change uh, depending on new ownership for the team. Uh, We, for now anyway, uh, know the deal with the team's quarterback situation, right? Commander's head coach Rod Rivera has positioned Sam Howell to be the team's QB1 for the 2023 season, but also has said that Sam isn't being handed anything, that he has to compete for that starting quarterback job. Well, Jacoby Brissett is that competition. Uh, Brissett was taken by the New England Patriots in the third round of the 2016 NFL Draft out of NC State. He was with the Pats for the 2016 season, the Indianapolis Colts for the 2017 through 2020 seasons, the Miami Dolphins for the 2021 season, and the Cleveland Browns for the 2022 season, which was a terrific season for Brissett. Uh, Some very impressive numbers as he served as the Browns starting quarterback during the 11-game suspension of quarterback Deshaun Watson. For a lot more on Jacoby Brissett, I'm very pleased to welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast, Jake Burns of the Orange and Brown Report. He is the host of the OBR Film Breakdown podcast, which is a Browns film breakdown pod. Uh, You can follow Jake on Twitter at Jake underscore Burns 18. Hey, Jake, how are you? I'm great, man. Hanging in. You know, it's a fun time in the NFL calendar. As you're well aware, things are changing. Teams are swiftly becoming what they could be next year. So, uh, we're we're hanging in. We're doing okay over here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Uh, generally speaking, what would you say that the Commanders are getting in Jacoby Brissett? 
first of all, great person, like a fantastic A plus. Uh, one of the easiest to root for quarterbacks the Browns have come across in a while. I, I know your folks don't pay all too much attention to Browns quarterbacks uh, other than maybe laughing at a joke here or there over the years. But, <laughs> you know, if you backtrack the Browns from their situation with like Brandon Whedon, um, you know, in the, in the, in the turn of the 2010 line and then track it to Johnny Manziel. And um, really the only guy I would say, um, is you, you look at like pushing through to Baker Mayfield, the, the, the fans could really get behind root for a good guy was Brian Hoyer, who obviously stuck around the league a long time in a, in a capacity of a backup more than anything else. Obviously they entered a bunch of different phases and got into the Manziel grouping and all that, um, before Mayfield got here. Mayfield wasn't the easiest guy to root for after a while either. So like what we know is that the Deshaun Watson acquisition for Cleveland was pretty rough and all that came with that and, and to get Jacoby Brissett for 11 games was such a welcome experience. Um, listen, I, I don't, I don't know what other way to say it. He's just, he was a great guy, great interview, very candid, very open, doesn't really care what people think about him, but in a good way, right? Like he doesn't mind opening up in ways that, that some quarterbacks wouldn't. He's not, um, you know, he's not, he's not reserved about how he feels about things. Uh, but he also knows the right and wrong things to say, right? He's been around the league long enough, spent obviously all that time around Tom Brady. He knows how to handle himself in the media. And um, I would just say, I, I don't think there's been a quarterback that has surprised Browns fans more, not just with the play on the field, which we'll get into in a little bit, but just from a, wow, like this guy is is candid um, and charismatic as we could have hoped for. And he's just so easy to pull for. And and I'm, we're really excited. Like, I just don't think that there's probably one single player that Browns fans are pulling for more than Jacoby Brissett with his new team. And I'll, I'll tell you this real quick on that same topic. I brought Zach Hicks on who covers the Colts to do almost the exact same thing you're doing right now, which is trying to figure out what the Browns were getting with Jacoby Brissett. And this is what he led with almost an identical thing that I'm saying, which is just the person he is, the way his teammates respect him. Everybody around the franchise loved him. Now his time with the Colts was not as, um, I wouldn't say as the performance wasn't as great. Now he got two unexpected years of starting and he did admirably, but he did not perform as well as he did this past year in Cleveland. So for the play on the field to catch up and mesh, with the person off of it was really cool to see, man. Wow. You're making me want to vote for Jacoby Brissett for president. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, Brissett's statistical profile from this past season really is something. Brissett for the 2022 regular season finished in the top 10 among qualified NFL quarterbacks in a lot of key advanced statistical categories. Uh, ESPN's total QBR and Football Outsiders DVOA for passing, and Pro Football Focus overall grade. You know, nobody would argue that Brissett is a top 10 quarterback, but was his performance this past season as good as the advanced stats suggest? Yeah, I think he, I think it was. I, I think he really, at the time, the Browns offense was humming. Now, again, I don't want to pull your people too deep into the weeds about what the Browns were doing, but like their first 11 games, they kept the harmonious Kevin Stefanski structure in place, right? So they wanted to keep everything from, from, from when Stefanski arrived in Cleveland in 2020, running, operational, keep everything the same status quo. Now, when they implemented Deshaun Watson at the end of the year, it got a little haywire because I think things have to change. And it's really, as you, as you would attest, tough to change things 11 games into a year to the wholesale variety that it takes, I think, to compliment Deshaun Watson. That's a bigger story here for us in the offseason. But what Brissett is really good at, um, 
the Browns put him in a lot of what Kevin Stefanski likes to do, which is West Coast staples. Hey, man, I need you to pre-snap decipher where to go with the football left or right side based on numbers and then pinpoint leverage and take advantage of it. And he was sharp all year long. Like those first and 10 empty throws, those first and 10 uh, under center three step, five step, get rid of it and get out of your hands, get us into a second and five or less was really good at it first and foremost. So he was good, accurate, did a great job of processing where the ball needed to go in the, in the right times. And um, was just, was just, I think in that phase caught me by surprise because he came from Miami in 2021 with a lot of, negative connotation and this was largely driven by i think the offense just wasn't built for him like he was playing in that offense before mike mcdaniel so he was playing um i cannot remember who the uh, i think it was like like charlie fry was one of the offensive coordinators down there and that's ironic from an old browns quarterback perspective but it was a lot of rpo stuff very much rpo driven um you know read a defender to get to the decision to throw and he just wasn't he's not built for that he is an old school under center quarterback and like what he's really good at is what the Browns do the most. So that West Coast stuff, those staples that come from it, where Kevin would give you maybe come out in 11 personnel with a running back in the backfield, give you some motion pre-snap, take the back out, put you in empty, tell you whether it's zone or man. Kevin would take come out in empty, bring a running back back into the backfield again, delineate whether it's zone or man, gave him pre-snap indicators, and um, he, he was really good with it. Then the play-action element off of it, right? So – the play action stuff was really good for him, and, and, and the Browns do typical uh, Kubi action and play action. A lot of boot, a lot of tiered zone stuff. They'll play action off of their gap run scheme stuff. So you're going to do, you know, maybe you're reversing out as a quarterback, you know, selling counter, and then and then putting your foot in the ground and pushing the ball vertically upfield. He was really good deep down the field. I don't have the numbers quite in front of me, but he did a great job throwing vertical shot throws downfield when they had some, and they didn't have they didn't have a ton. But I think he was pretty good at it when they did it. If you're looking at his 20-plus stuff, um, he ended up being last year 18 of 52, three touchdowns, which is which is pretty good for pushing the thing down the field like that, 20 yards downfield. He was excellent in the 10 to 19 range where he had a, a quality grade of 88.1. So when they would come off the, the, the boot fake and have maybe those deep uh, intermediate and shallows, he did a great job of hitting the intermediates too. So he was like – if I'm looking at the data here in front of me, 47 of uh, 78, 729, six touchdowns, one interception in the 10 to 19 range. So that's, you know, teams have gotten better at defending long throws in the Kubiak, Shanahan stuff. Defenses have just seen it forever. Uh, but he did a really good job of deciphering that, coming back to and finding answers in the intermediate stuff. So think the thing that Jacoby's not great at and the reason he's not a $150, $200 million quarterback is third and pass, right? It's the hardest thing for quarterbacks to do. You know, it's predictable. Teams are running creeper looks at you, rotating coverage, moving people. He just wasn't very good at it. And it just, again, I think you would agree with me. Scheme can help a quarterback in a lot of ways, but when it's third and eight and everybody knows and the world knows you're passing, he just, that's where I think things get a little awry for him. He would be, there'd be a, not necessarily that he was helter skelter in terms of like his, his approach, but he just wouldn't always process it in time. And it would lead to some uh, some struggles in, in timing of release and then and then the ball delivery being accurate. Now, again, like I said, I, this is what you pay the $200 million for is the guys who when the shot clock's running down, they can be a, a shot maker for you, right? The old analogy to basketball. Um, he's, he's not quite that. And when games got on the line, like 
the Browns had this really weird start of the season, man, where um, they, they, they let teams back in games. So like they let the jets, they were up on the jets by 13 points, let the jets take the lead. And this is, this is the bananas that was the Brown season. Uh, let the jets come back and take the lead with like 50 seconds left. So, um, onside kick recovery, a, a deep shot, touchdown, heartbreaking deep throw jets, get the lead by a point. Browns have like 30 seconds to go down and get in field goal range themselves. Uh, Brissett throws an interception. Uh, the next game, the Atlanta game, they should have won that one, had a chance to go kick a field goal to win that one late. Um, he takes a pretty terrible second down sack, throws an interception. So he's he was not good um, when like they needed a quarterback to rise above chaos, right? The guys who can like go out and, again, win those games that are really challenging to make. But when he played within the structure of the offense, he put them in a position to win. And he made some throws. He made a lot of nice plays for them. But again, like where you're talking about where's Jacoby Brissett limited and your fan base would ask a very fair question of, well, why is he an $8 million quarterback if he's so good? He's just not good enough consistently enough on the third and pass or the crunch time moments to justify handing keys to a franchise to for a Geno Smith type of deal even. We're discussing new commander's quarterback, Jacoby Brissett, with Jake Burns of the Orange and Brown Report. He is the host of the OBR Film Breakdown podcast, which is a Browns film breakdown pod. Uh, Brissett isn't known as some dynamic runner, but he, for the 2022 regular season, had a rushing grade for pro football focus of 91.5, which, as you know, is excellent. PFF grades are on a scale of 0 to 100. What's your assessment of Brissett as a runner this past season? So they don't do any designed runs with him, and I wouldn't expect your franchise to do that either because that's just asking for failure. He's, he's not a runner by nature, but he's a huge dude. He's 6'4", 240. So if somebody in a four-man rush doesn't get him to the ground, he can still – he's not a terrible – like he's a really good basketball player coming up. He's an athlete. He's just not a sprinter. So like I don't know what Jacoby's 40 time was coming out in pro days and whatnot, but I'd have to imagine it's closer to five than anything else. I mean, he's just not that fast. But he's strong. He's strong as hell. And like, I don't think that there's anybody that would argue that he's one of the tougher quarterbacks to bring down in the pocket. So he does a great job of making a guy or two miss in the pocket. He was a four nine four forty guy. I was looking at Rascal real quick. So again, I think all this stuff matches up. He's got poor agility grades. He's not very agile, but he can get out and, and, and make people miss in, in the pocket with the really good vertical jump and broad jump, that means he's an explosive player. He, he's not easy to bring down. So he will extend plays in the pocket um, by getting rid of arm tackles here and there, do a great job with that. And then we were surprised. There were a couple times where either coming off of a boot fake and rolling or getting off of somebody and kind of finding a way to get to the corner real quick, uh, despite that 495 speed, he surprised us last year as a runner. So it's not like you're going to see them, you know, given some some zone read things or, or whatever. You know, there's not going to be any of those quarterback run wrinkles. But he is um, really was really sneaky good at getting out, extending the play, and getting out and running for a first down here and there. And I will say this, uh, and maybe you know this, maybe you do, he's one of the best quarterback sneak guys in the NFL. Period. Like. When he was in Indy, he was coming in to do them for Phillip Rivers. And when he came to Cleveland, 
Stefanski abused him with. It was a cheat code on fourth downs. Like, they didn't even do the push stuff that that Philly does. Now, they went to the more push stuff later in the year uh, with the running back or tight end going in motion, kind of getting up next to you and pushing you forward. He's so good at it, finding that natural crease. Like, he came from the Tom Brady school of quarterback sneaks. Like, he is one of the best, and he's huge. He's 6'4", 240, maybe even 250 now. Um, he's not easy to make him fall back. So, like, he got a ton of first downs on quarterback runs. I don't know if I if I looked at non like non zone read or shotgun quarterback run game, and I looked at who had the most first downs. I would have to think he's at the top of it if I filtered that stat line up. But yeah, in terms of like it's fourth and one, he's a cheat code on 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 some of those things with with quarterback sneak stuff. So that's another really and in third and one, fourth and one, where it's frustrating if you can't get that dang first down. It's a nice element to have there. For the Commanders fan listening to this right now who wants to get excited about Jacoby Brissett, what are some good games from his 2022 season to search for on YouTube or on the All-22s? Do any games come to mind? Yeah, I I do think some come to mind. The Pittsburgh game week three was a Thursday night football game. He was 21 of 31, 220 and a couple touchdowns and really picked him apart. Thought he did a great job. That one's worth your time. Um He had a really nice game uh, against Cincinnati week eight. This is when Cincinnati started to get it rolling and they dominated Cincinnati. And he was really good in that one. Uh, He was uh, 17 of 22, 278 in a touchdown, really picked him apart. The Buffalo stat line looks good, but that game was really tilted in Buffalo's favors, like 28 of 41, 324 and three touchdowns. I would say the game that I was more impressed by was the following week uh, where he, where the Browns beat Tampa, he was 23 of 37, 210 a touchdown. And he did throw a pick in that game, but it was, uh, I think it was sort of a, a circumstantial interception more than anything else. So I would say Tampa Bay, because he throws an unbelievable dart in, uh, in the last 30 seconds of the game to, to David Njoku in the back of the end zone to tie it, and then does a great job in overtime of escaping pressure and finding Amari Cooper for a deep shot down the right sideline to give the Browns a chance to win it. They would run it in a couple plays later. So Pittsburgh week three, Cincy week eight. And then if you want to see two back-to-back games of where he played well, Buffalo and Tampa Bay weeks 11 and 12. If you want to see like, what does he struggle with week six, new England, the new England knows him better than anybody. And they gave him fits. They gave him a bunch of mugged fronts where he had to delineate where the pressure was coming from untouched. He couldn't do it. He had a couple interceptions in that game. He ended up throwing for 266, but two interceptions in the first play of the game throwing-wise was a pick that was a bad decision. So that's one if you're like, okay, I need to check myself here. Week one, Carolina, he kind of came out of the gate a little slow. Week six, New England, we give you a good feel for like, if he struggles, this is what I'm looking at. We get the Browns quarterback situation. It's all about Deshaun Watson. That said, was the Browns re-signing Jacoby Brissett ever on the table? It was on the table until he started to play really well. I'll tell you, like, after the point of, like, that Cincinnati, Miami, uh, Cincinnati, Buffalo, Tampa games, we're like, this guy's starting somewhere else next year. You look around at some of the guys in the NFL starting. Um, I'm like, there's no way this guy doesn't get a chance to have starting snaps somewhere. If he could, if he would have been inclined to come back, and as it started to creep forward a little bit, we thought that maybe he's not going to get an opportunity, and maybe they they would be interested because the Browns just recently brought back Josh Dobbs for two million um, to be the backup. Josh was actually behind. Jacoby, Josh was Jacoby's backup through those first 11 games. And when that happened, uh, sorry, Jacoby signing happened before 
we I would say like we really knew weeks again like the, by the time his his last few starts were hitting like that Tampa Bay game ended his last full game playing and I'm like that he's not there's no way he's going to start somewhere we thought maybe Atlanta uh, would be inclined to give him cuz like Arthur Smith comes from the same offensive structure so yeah I mean like that was the the general consensus of we'd love to have Jacoby back but it's pretty evident there's a team that would really benefit from a the personality of this player helping develop a quarterback behind him I know you guys are still invested in Sam Howell out there being around Jacoby Brissett will be an A plus experience for him how to play the position how to act like a professional how to handle the media everything it takes to be a starter type and not to say how can't beat him out could happen. Um, but, but like just from a, and, and Jacoby understands, like he just understands everything. He took over for Tom Brady out of nowhere in the deflate game situation where Jimmy Garoppolo was playing and then Garoppolo just had this weird, no, I'm not going to play. And, and Brissett came in and gave new England a win, perform really admirably. Then the Andrew Luck stuff happens. And I know most people don't recall what happened there, but he has, uh, out of nowhere injury that cost him a season, right? The the shoulder that cost him a season. He gets late surgery on that thing. And then he just retired out of nowhere. And and we all were stunned in the NFL world by that. Both of those seasons, Jacoby stepped into play. So he is, is used to this. And this was a big point of him coming to Cleveland as Deshaun's suspension situation was very much in flux. We didn't really know that answer was going to be that answer until right before the season. He was just built for it. He's built for situations that need stability and they need a leader. And I know you're talking about Washington football team is going to figure the commanders are figuring out who's the next owner. They need some stability. They, they need professional quarterback play. I think you brought in the right guy, not to sit here and demand that it's going to work out and tell your fans it's going to be great. Who knows? Got, I think you got to tailor the offense to what he does well. Uh, and I, I kind of addressed that a little bit earlier. I think you got to try to take advantage of his best traits, but if you give him a chance, do you know the weapons you guys are putting on the outside? Um, it's got a chance to be a really strong, functional NFL offense for you. And I'm sure a time that you guys would love to get some, uh, some stability there. So uh, again, great mesh, great guy. And I'm going to be watching commanders games this year because I just loved him. So I, I hope it works out, man. Tremendous stuff. Jake Burns of the Orange and Brown Report, the host of the OBR Film Breakdown Podcast, a Browns Film Breakdown pod. I tell you, even if you're not a Browns fan, if you're just an NFL fan, check out his pod. Uh, the guy knows his stuff. Jake, thanks a lot and all the best. All, all the same, Al. Thanks for having me on, man. All right. Awesome insight from Jake Burns. Uh, if you enjoyed that and you have like 20 seconds, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast. Uh, you on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review uh, doesn't have to be long. can be just a sentence or two. Uh, but the ratings and the reviews help out the podcast a lot. So thank you for doing them. Well, you likely have heard the phrase winning the press conference. Uh, We on Wednesday afternoon had the introductory press conference for Georgetown basketball's new head coach, Ed Cooley. And uh, Coach Cooley very much won the press conference. Uh, Now, as we know, winning an introductory press conference guarantees nothing. But especially for a program like Georgetown, which is coming off back-to-back horrendous seasons and which has seen its place in the Washington, D.C. area sports hierarchy plummet in recent years. A winning introductory press conference for a new head coach is a very welcome thing. Ed Cooley is impressive. He spent 
the last 12 seasons as Providence's head coach. He, over those 12 seasons, made the NCAA tournament in seven of the 11 seasons in which there were NCAA tournaments. No NCAA tournament in 2020 due to COVID. Uh, Cooley, over those seven NCAA tournament appearances, uh, did make just one Sweet 16 appearance, but his winning percentage as Providence head coach was 613, and his winning percentage as Providence head coach and Biggie's regular season games was 544. Also, Cooley led Providence to the 2014 Big East tournament title and to the 2021-2022 Big East regular season title. And with this introductory press conference on Wednesday afternoon, what you saw and heard was a guy who is a really good speaker, uh, a guy who is charismatic and a guy who can command a room. Now, again, all of this guarantees nothing. Coaching in big-time college sports is about two basic things. Can you recruit and can you properly coach up those who you recruit? And if you can do both of those things, then you're probably going to be successful. But with the Hoyas in dire need of some energy, of some juice, of some life, they seem to now have those things with Ed Cooley. Here was some of Ed Cooley on Wednesday afternoon. This is an era where this district, this DMV area, I promise you we need to lock this down. We need to make sure... We need to make sure, not the best players, the best people that are good players, that have incredible integrity, that have character, that have passion, that have a chip on their shoulder to want to be a champion. Listen, I'm a dreamer and a believer, right? Everybody looks at you, coach. No, my name's Ed. I just happen to be a coach. But the Ed in me wants to be a champion. And I think we chose together as a partnership, a championship-level program. Yeah, Ed Cooley on Wednesday afternoon was not shy about talking about winning a national championship at Georgetown. How about this? And I see many of my family members here, many of my friends, the media people that are here. We need each and every one of you to trust. We need each and every one of you to believe. We need each and every one of you not to be negative about what happened yesterday. That's in the past. What are we today? Where are we going tomorrow? And I need you to envision from our former players to our current players to our future players having a net around our neck. Here in that one shining moment, Jim Nance ain't going to be there anymore as he's retiring this year. He was one of the best guys you can ever be around. But Iron Eagle is going to be talking to me at some point, really, really soon, when Georgetown wins a national championship. I can really believe that. Okay, how'd you like all of that? Ed Cooley feeling himself on Wednesday afternoon. Ed Cooley imploring the media (laughs) not to be negative, taking a page out of the book of Commander's head coach, Rod Rivera. And then Ed, Big Ed, point blank saying, we're going to be cutting down some nets. Uh, Georgetown, of course, has won a national championship. 1984, part of an incredible run of three national championship game appearances in four years, 1982, 1984, and 1985. The Hoyas head coach at that time, of course, was the legendary John Thompson Jr. Uh, He died in August 2020, but 
Big John's legacy looms large, uh, and a lot of Hoyas fans and observers will tell you that the legacy looms too large, that Georgetown basketball needs to get away from some of the traditions and practices and even people connected to the John Thompson era. I do think that there's a lot of truth in that, but you know, Georgetown basketball also doesn't have to uh, like make a clean break from the John Thompson era. Uh, you can respect it, you can honor it, while also modernizing things and bringing in smart people with fresh ideas. And that line that you want to try to walk that I just outlined, uh, that was the sentiment that I got from Ed Cooley on Wednesday afternoon in terms of how he wants to treat the legacy of John Thompson and the aura of John Thompson and the massive influence that John Thompson has had over the program even since his resignation in 1999 and even since his death in 2020. Here was Ed Cooley on Wednesday afternoon on John Thompson Jr. I bring up Coach Thompson's name. First and foremost, I'm not him. I don't want to be him. But I respect the platform he gave all of us young believers that had a bowl of hope, a bowl of hope and a dream. And that's all I wanted. Opportunity knocks. And when opportunity knocks, don't ask who's at the door. Opportunities there. Break it down and become special. And that's what we're going to be here. We're not going to be good. We're going to be special. And that specialty is going to come from our alumni, our fan base, our season ticket holders, our former players, which I'm really, really big on. A lot of the times coaches take jobs and they forget about the young men that got them there. There's a history here. There's a tradition here that I think you have to respect. But it is a new era. And it's the blossom season. We're about to blossom as big as anything in America. I can promise you that. And it's not going to be easy. We are, we are navigating uh, ever-moving landscape in college athletics, and we're not going to complain about it. We're going to adjust, we're going to adapt, and we're going to become champions, because I think it's important for us to understand that. A lot of big talk from Ed Cooley on Wednesday afternoon, but you know, I have no problem with that. Georgetown needed that. The Hoyas have been humiliated these last two seasons. What happened over Patrick Ewing's final two seasons as Hoyas head coach was painful. Georgetown in the 2021-2022 season went 6-25 and overall and 0-20 and in games in the Big East. Georgetown this season went 7-25 and overall and 2-19 and in games in the Big East. Uh, some optimistic, uplifting talk. Nothing wrong with that from Ed Cooley at his introductory press conference on Wednesday afternoon. But of course, now the real work begins and uh, he has a lot of work to do. And also, with a lot of work to do, is our Wizards. Uh, their work in this NBA regular season is coming to an end. Uh, the Wizards fell to 32-41 and 41 with a 118-104 loss to the Western Conference-leading Denver Nuggets at Capital One Arena on Wednesday night. Uh, the Wizards now are two and a half games behind the Chicago Bulls for 10th in the Eastern Conference. Seeds is 7 through 10 and each conference make its play-in tournament for the NBA playoffs. Uh, the Wizards on Wednesday night lost a fourth consecutive game, lost for the seventh time in eight games, and lost for the ninth time in 11 games. The Wizards right now are fading, and fading hard. And this is a good thing from the standpoint of the NBA draft lottery. The Wizards are going nowhere as currently constructed. This desire to make 
the Eastern Conference's play-in tournament so that they can get smashed by the Milwaukee Bucks or Boston Celtics or Philadelphia 76ers in the first round of the NBA playoffs is comical to me. But it absolutely is worth noting that the Wizards are completely wilting down the stretch of this regular season. And note this, Wednesday night's loss clinched the Wizards having a non-winning regular season record for a fifth consecutive season. The Wizards now have just nine regular season games left. The best that the team can finish is 41 and 41. Five consecutive non-winning regular seasons, almost certain to be five consecutive losing regular seasons. Uh, Like I said, the Wizards are going nowhere. Now, they on Wednesday night were playing the best team in the West in the Nuggets, and the Wizards were without two key players, uh, two members of the team's big three. <laughs> uh, Bradley Beal did not play due to left knee soreness, and Kyle Kuzma did not play for a second consecutive game due to a sprained right ankle. And what was odd was that the third member of the Wizards' big three, Chris Stamps Porzingis, he on Wednesday night played for just 22 minutes, 14 seconds as a starter. He got in some foul trouble, although he finished with just three fouls, but he in the second quarter played for just 34 seconds. Porzingis finished with just 22 minutes, 14 seconds of playing time. Uh, He went one of three on threes, 10 of 14 on twos, and two of two on free throws and uh, finished with 25 points, also three rebounds and two assists versus one turnover. You know, this actually was a game. The Wizards early in the third quarter held a four-point lead at 59-55, but they then allowed the Nuggets to go on a 41-14 run for a 23-point lead at 96-73 early in the fourth quarter. This was Wizards head coach Wes Unsell Jr. during his postgame press conference on Wednesday night on what happened to the Wizards in the third quarter. Uh, they got out early, um, then the turnovers. When the, that was more the back end of that third quarter. I only had one turnover for no points in that first half. And then 12 points off six turnovers in that quarter alone. So you finish with seven, you feel pretty good about it. But, you know, they were they scored on each one of those turnovers. Um, so the three-point shooting as well. I think one, maybe two of those were off the live ball turnovers. But just getting to those shooters... And I think Michael Porter got going three for four in that quarter as well. So uh, there's a combination of both of those things, I think, that really hurt us. Yeah, the Wizards' defense on Wednesday night, bad for a fourth consecutive game. Remember, Wes Unsell Jr., he prior to becoming the Wizards head coach in July 2021, was an assistant for the Nuggets for six seasons. He, in December 2020, was promoted to associate head coach for the Nuggets. He oversaw the Nuggets' defensive game plans. He was known as a defensive specialist. A big part of the appeal of the Wizards hiring Wes Unsell Jr. as head coach was that the thought was he could fix the Wizards defensively. Well, uh, that hasn't exactly happened (laughs) with Wes Jr. as Wizards head coach. But anyway, the Wizards on Wednesday night allowed the Nuggets to score 118 points to go 15-32 on threes and 27-51 on twos and have 28 assists versus 10 turnovers. And the Wizards got worked by perhaps the best player in the NBA, the Joker, Nikola Jokic. Uh, The joke was on the Wizards. Uh, The Wizards allowed Jokic in 33 minutes, 36 seconds as a starter to go 2-3 on threes, 10-13 on twos and 5-5 
on free throws and finished with 31 points, 12 rebounds, including five offensive boards, seven assists versus two turnovers, three steals, and a game-best time plus-minus rating of plus 28. Here was Wes Unsell Jr. during his post-game press conference on Wednesday night on the Wizards' defense, especially their three-point defense. Some of them were, you know, uh, plays off the dribble, force help, and they do a terrific job of spacing, you know, and they got some pretty good shooters surrounding a really good player. So when you double the posts, you know, once again, you put two on the ball, you're getting it out of his hands, but he's a unique player because of the way he can pass and the way he sees the floor, um, you know, makes it very difficult to cover both him and get to those shooters. But, you know, um, those uh, rotations weren't always clean. Some were good and some were just really good shots. Tough shots made by pretty good players. Yeah, and the Wizards' offense on Wednesday night was not good enough. Uh, the Wizards went a horrendous 4 of 26 on threes. Also went just 12 of 16 on free throws. Uh, did score 60 points in the paint and going 30 of 41 in the paint. Did have 20 assists versus just 7 turnovers. But the Wizards lost again. Next up for them, home to the San Antonio Spurs, who are the second worst team in the Western Conference, Friday night at 7. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Friday show, episode 535. We'll provide you with more on the commanders. Also, on Friday's show, we'll talk capitals. The Caps are home to the Chicago Blackhawks, who are the second worst team in the Western Conference, Thursday night at 7. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you on Friday. I need you to envision from our former players to our current players to our future players, having a net around our neck. Here in that one shining moment, Jim Nance ain't going to be there anymore as he's retiring this year. He was one of the best guys you can ever be around. But Iron Eagle's going to be talking to me at some point really, really soon when Georgetown wins a national championship. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.